Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 2 as we conclude our Christmas series this month and really our year series on having a clearer vision of so many things we've looked at, including this month, a clearer vision of Christmas. I hope our series has helped you. You know, it seems to me that people who meet Christ generally fall into one of two categories, those whom Christ just surprises one day by showing up and those who take a long journey uh, to really get to Christ and meet him. Some people get surprised, rather ambushed by Jesus. Uh, something like the shepherds on that night, it was an ordinary night when Christ just shows up. And that happens when the angels appear and the glory of God shines around them and they are terrified and they hear about this Christ is to be born, that, that was born that night, and they could find him lying in a manger. So they drop everything and they go meet Jesus and their lives are changed as they go and tell everybody about this one that was born. Uh, and then there, is the, there are the kind of people that the Magi represent. These people are... Uh, not just hoping to get through the night. They love the night. Uh, these magi loved staring up into the sky. They loved discovering what the skies meant, what the stars in the skies meant. And so they weren't running away from the night. They were running into the night. It meant that they would plot the constellations and they would, they would study science and mathematics and the movement of the heavens to, to, be, uh, to discover what they meant. And so they take a long journey to get to Bethlehem. And maybe your journey to Christ was a very quick one where the truth was presented or someone talked to you about Jesus and immediately you were intrigued and you were on your way. And for other people, it takes years. The, 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 the seeds are planted over time by various people in different ways and different occasions and seed after seed is planted. And you look back over your life and you realize God got to me finally, but after a, a long, long journey. So maybe yours is a quick journey. Maybe yours is a, maybe yours is a long journey. Either way, our desire is, and God's desire for you, is to really discover him and who he is and all that he is. Today, as we think about Christmas, I want us to revisit Bethlehem to experience once again the wonder and joy of the birth of Christ as we have this entire weekend and season as we've looked to the Christmas story. But today, we will do it through the eyes of the Magi and their experiences. So here's our text. It's in Matthew 2, and we will start then with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, in nativity scenes, we often enjoy all the, the animals that are there and the shepherds, Mary and Joseph and the baby and, and the magi or the wise men. But such wasn't the case, really, when Jesus was born. Diana's grandmother would always put the nativity scene out, but she made sure the nativity with Mary and Joseph and the baby and the shepherds were on the end table and the magi were on the mantle because they didn't belong in the stable scene. And that's accurate because Matthew makes it clear when he writes that when the Magi arrive, they are at a house, the text tells us, not at a stable, not at a feeding trough. Did they see the Bible? He also see the child, and he also uses the word child instead of newborn. That's based on verse 16 in chapter 2. So we can infer from that that Jesus, by the time the Magi arrived, was anywhere from the age of 12 to 24 months old. Traditionally, we call them wise men, uh, but there are some women who would insist that the term is an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or civil war. In fact, some have suggested that suggested that would have been better if God would have sent women instead of men. The, the women would have asked for directions sooner. They would have arrived on time, and they would have helped Mary by bringing the baby uh, gifts after helping to deliver the baby and the gifts would have been pampers and other practical gifts for having a newborn. Well, whatever the case, that isn't, wasn't God's plan. He sent these magi uh, to worship the baby. We might say that this is the very first Star Trek. We have much to learn from these magi. First, I want you to notice that having searched for God, they discover Jesus. The actual word used to describe the magi is the plural form of, form of the word magus, or even magician. Most people assume that there were three of them because they brought three gifts. And in spite of the song, We Three Kings, we don't know how many there were. There could have been two or three or maybe even 60. I still find myself talking about the three wise men or the three magi. Nevertheless, the old habits die hard. Dr. John MacArthur writes about the importance of the magi. He writes this, because of their combined knowledge of science, agriculture, mathematics, history, and the occult, they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the Medo-Persian and subsequently the Babylonian Empire. Historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king without mastering the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi and, and that being approved and crowned by them. 
They were from the region to the east, the area we know today is Iran or Iraq. They had been traveling for a long time following this strange star in the western sky. Now some astronomers theorized that at this particular time there was a certain alignment of the planets in relation to the earth that would have, that have shown the brilliance of this appearance in the, in the heavens. Uh, this past Monday, in fact, there were experts saying that it was an unusual time when Saturn and Jupiter were aligned in such a way to appear more brilliant. Um, and, and some would suggest maybe that's the kind of thing that happened in the, in the unfolding of the Christmas message. It's at least enough to say, hmm, because the last time Jupiter and Saturn were aligned as they were a couple of nights ago was 800 years ago. Did God use something like that? Maybe. My supposition is no, that whatever, whatever heavenly light this was, was a supernatural um, existence of a celestial body that God put there for this particular occasion. Whatever it was, God was involved, and it was a heavenly body that moved, and it stopped over a precise place. That's why I suggest it was a miraculous appearance of a heavenly light, not something that explained by, by human reasoning. But they weren't there just because of the star. They asked Herod, where is the one who is to be born the king of the Jews or the Messiah of the Jews? How could they possibly know about a king born to the Jews? And the truth is, we don't know. But being from among the intelligentsia of their own culture, they must have explored all kinds of sources of knowledge, including the Jewish scriptures. Having done so, they would have discovered probably the prophet Daniel. Uh, Daniel, over 500 years earlier, um, had been deported to the area of Babylon where, where after Jerusalem was conquered. And he did more than survive a den of lions. He became a very influential leader in the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel wrote his prophecies about 500 years before Jesus was born. And in chapter 9, he predicted from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the birth, life, and death of the Messiah, the King of the Jews, about 490 years would elapse. These magi knew exactly when Cyrus gave the official decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. So they simply added 490 years, and that's why they were looking for the king at this particular time. They knew when, but they didn't know enough to know exactly where this was to happen. And so they came to Herod seeking and asking where is this one? Where is this Messiah, this King of the Jews? Where is the Messiah? In fact, they're the first, these are the first words in the form of a question voiced or recorded for us in the New Testament. Where is the Messiah? Uh, the first words were spoken by humans, I should say. Now, Gabriel has some words to say in chapter 1 of Matthew and in Luke. But here we have, where is the Messiah? It's interesting, the first question voiced in the Old Testament was voiced by God. Where are you? He posed that question after Adam and Eve had sinned and rebelled against him. 
The Bible is an astonished record of the history of God's movement and his interaction with man he has created. In one sense, it's comprised of 66 different books written by some 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, guided by the Holy Spirit. But in reality, the Bible is a complete unit with a single dominating plot running through from Genesis to Revelation. The entire message of the Old Testament could be summed up by this one question of God. Where are you? He is always the pursuer of those he's created. He is always looking for us. He's always desiring us. And while he asks that question, he's preparing for the entrance of the Messiah to come into the world. And in a sense, the whole New Testament is all about where is God? Where is the answer to life? Where is the, where is the solution to life's ills and problems? And God answers at the very beginning of the New Testament, when he says, here I am, I took on human flesh and came into the world. I was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Where is God? He is on his throne. Where is the Messiah? He is on his throne today. Where is the Messiah? He is working throughout the world today through his Holy Spirit, convicting the world of sin. Where is the Messiah? He is being lifted up as he has preached, announced, and testified by all of us who have been changed by him. Where is he? He is in the church. He is alive and he is moving. That's where the Messiah is today. And we are thankful so, so much that he, he desires to live within us and change us into the image of, of himself. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. You know, people, people today are looking so desperately for God. Now, they don't know it necessarily, but they will voice it by their sense of emptiness, by their frustration with life's dead ends. Um, they ask it by addictive practices when their lives aren't working they ask more literally, perhaps, where was God on 9-11? Where was God when, when I miscarried? Where was God when my husband left me? Where was God when I lost my job? Where is God in the pandemic? And brothers and sisters, he is on the move throughout the world, always, always calling people to himself. No one is more intentional about his, his desire and his purpose than the God that we worship today and the one who is our Lord. He is on the move in your life and mine. He wants to use us for his glory. If you are watching today and you are honestly seeking to find God, you will always be led to Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. First Timothy says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and, and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 says, He is, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And I so hope if you don't know him, you will seek him as diligently as these magi sought him uh, after he was born. 
There are all kinds of helps along the way and indications of the way. I love the story of the, the children who were uh, doing the Christmas story, and, uh, and they rushed. I want to be Joseph. I want to be Mary. Okay, I'll be a shepherd. And one kid said, I want to be the doctor. And so uh, the adult leader let him be the doctor, and so he helped deliver the child, and he held, holds the pillow up that was once, uh, once Mary's baby, and they said, what is it? What is it? He said, it's, a, it's God. <laughs> and that kid was right. This baby born was God himself. The Magi searched for God, and they found Jesus. How long had they been searching for the true God? I don't know. Maybe their whole lifetime. But they finally found him through this one who is born, King of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And no one can get to God without him. Now, second, having discovered Jesus, they offered their treasure. One of the most enjoyable things we have about Christmas is gift giving. We often call it gift exchange, which is more what it is than just giving a gift to somebody else. There is an exchange going on. I felt rather cheap a couple of weeks ago. I received uh, in the mail from my brother and sister-in-law a Bose wireless Bluetooth speaker, which I have enjoyed so much every day. You know what my brother got? My brother got a and sister-in-law, a tray of dried fruit. I called him to thank him, and I said, you know, there's quite a disparity here. I get a Bose Bluetooth speaker, you get dried fruit. It just doesn't seem like it's equal at all, and it isn't as far as the expense of it all. When I think about that, I think about the disparity between what God has done for us and anything we give him. <laughs> I mean, no matter what we give him, no matter what we offer to him in time, in energy, money, resources, whatever ways we serve him, there is such a disparity between whatever we can bring him and what he has given to us. The Bible calls this unspeakable gift, this gift of eternal life that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. Some Christmas gifts are inappropriate. For instance, if you've got a, a little person at home, a toddler, you're not going to give them permanent markers <laughs> to deal with. You're not, you're not going to do that. It's an inappropriate gifts. The gifts of the Magi were perfect. There couldn't have been better gifts to give this one Messiah but the ones that they gave him. John Stott writes, Gold is the gift fit for a king, Frankincense was in constant use by the priests in the temple. Myrrh was used to embalm the dead. And those three gifts, we see who he is, what he came to do, and what it would cost him. Those of us who value this baby who was born to be our Redeemer, we open our treasures to him. And what we give to him are to be just as valuable and just as appropriate so gold represents that we give to God our first and our best. Gold has always been one of the most valuable commodities on earth. Kings receive gold as tribute. And when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, it means that he gets your first and he gets your best. He is king. This involves much more than financial. It involves the fire finances, but it also involves every part of who we are. It's whatever in your life 
is like gold. What is precious to you? Your time, of your energy, of your talents that he has given you, uh, your finances as well. That's why we give to God of the first of our finances. We don't give him out of our leftovers. We give him to him sacrificially. We give him what costs us something in our lives. If it doesn't cost us in any dimension, then it's not a real sacrifice to him. Proverbs 3, 9 says, We're to honor the Lord with our wealth by giving him the first fruits of our income. And that then carries over into all the other aspects of our lives. We would do well to be sure that our best gift, our most costly gift given at Christmas, goes to kingdom work. Either here through the ministry of, of PCC or to some mission work or a combination of both. We thank God for his gift to us by giving sacrificially to him. Whatever to you is as gold. We also give him incense, suggesting we give him our joyous worship. In verse 10, it says the Magi were overjoyed. Now let me, let me pause and take a, a sidetrack here just for a second. I, I know many of you through the pandemic are watching online. We are so glad that you are. Uh, and, and, and as you do that, I trust that you aren't too comfortable that this is the way you want to be from here on out because we need the community of being together. This is a good measure to take until we can all be gathered safely and, uh, and have close connection. But, to, but don't make it the norm for your life. I trust that there's a longing to be together in person. Um, also, when you are watching online, can I encourage you to make sure it's the fullness of the hour we spend together and, and you are really in worship, not just listening to a message or doing other things along the way, but you're making it a worship practice and experience. This is so important. Not that this is all worship is. Worship is all of life because worship has to do with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we enjoy every day. But back to our text, you know, these, it says here that they were overjoyed. And the paraphrase is that, of that is they could hardly contain themselves. That's what they were experiencing. Incense was used in the temple by priests. They burned the incense so worship would add to the number of senses that are involved in worship. The cloud uh, caused by the burning of incense would represent the, the presence of God that was revealed in the tabernacle and then the temple when the Israelites came to worship. The incense produced a unique odor that would always remind the Israelites of the, the worship of God, the presence of God. We also associate smells with certain experiences. Um, there are certain foods that often remind us of someone in our life, a grandmother, a mother, and the special things they made. So was the burning of incense among uh, the, this, the family of Jews as they came together. Uh, we likewise then are to be a sweet aroma to the world around us because of our worship of Christ. Incense speaks of the joy of worship. Like the Magi, we bow down before Jesus and there should be much, so much joy that we can hardly contain ourselves when we sing of the great truths of the gospel and what the gospel has done for us. So let's, let's do our best to get away from any language that sounds like, well, I didn't get much out of that worship today. 
because of the music or the sermon or whatever was happening. That's not what worship... Worship isn't designed for us to get something out of it. Worship is simply for God to be a recipient of what we give to him in worship. And myrrh. Myrrh speaks of our life and our loyalty. Myrrh was the, anoint, uh, uh, the ointment used on dead bodies to slow the decaying process. This gift reveals that the Magi understood the death of this Messiah of the Jews and that that death would be significant. Daniel wrote in his prophecy that of the Messiah being cut off or killed. You know, that Christmas song we love, Mary, did you know, suggests it must have been unthinkable for Mary to consider that this child, her child, was born to die. How could she fathom that this child with his chubby little hands would be torn to pieces by huge spikes? How could she know that his smooth, skinned side would one day be pierced by a sword. And yet it would be. What faith it must have taken for the Magi to demonstrate during the first days of his life that this child was a king who would die. The myrrh represents the need for us to offer our lives, to lay down our own lives, to die to self, and to live for this king who reigns forever and even reigns in our hearts today. What a king he is. I trust if you haven't surrendered to him, you will. Now, having offered their treasure, they go home a different way. When you meet Jesus, you cannot go back the way you came. You cannot. He calls us to a different life, a different path, a different trajectory, a different course of actions and thinking and different goals, different, different ideas, different dreams. He shapes us differently. We cannot go back the way we came. And so these magi, having been warned in a dream about treacherous Herod, had to return a different way. We take a new direction. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. I'm not into poetry. I'm not wise enough to figure it out. But I do admire poets who communicate their hearts in unique ways. And I know one of the greatest minds of the 20th century was T.S. Eliot. Some of you are familiar with this poster about the miracle uh, or about the musical Cats. Some of you may like that musical. I don't particularly, but Cats is based on the poetry of T.S. Eliot. In 1948, T.S. Eliot won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And although he was born in America, he spent most of his time in Great Britain and later became actually a British citizen. In his search for truth, he became a very cynical humanist. And he edited a magazine with the pretentious title, The Egotist. In many of his early poems, Eliot used his very saber-sharp wit to ridicule Christianity. He described his poetry as rhythmic grumbling. Later, he immersed himself in all kinds of religion, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, always searching for spiritual truth. But in 1927, at the age of 39, Eliot turned to Jesus Christ 
after seriously studying the Bible. He was baptized into Christ, and he became one of the greatest spokesmen for the intellectual viability of Christianity, much in the same way that C.S. Lewis did as well in his journey to Christ. And not long after becoming a Christian, Eliot disguised his personal testimony in his poem called The Journey of the Magi. And he wrote about the Magi, but, but hidden within it was his own testimony of struggling to get to Jesus and then the result of it. I, I'm not going to spend time to read it because it's, it's a kind of heady. Again, it's a poem that I have a hard time reading into and understanding all about his words. But he's saying in this poem, like the wise men, I searched a long time for the truth of God. And when I finally discovered Jesus, I found this truth that changed my life. Now, what about you today? Are you wishing and searching to understand and to, to, to finally arrive somewhere like the Magi? I, I, my guess is that most who are watching today have already been on that journey. And you're thankful for it and you're rejoicing in it today. But any of us in the midst of that journey to Christ and arriving there can get muddled. And we can forget the initial journey. Whether it was instantaneous like the shepherds who, who heard the angel immediately went to Bethlehem then started telling everybody. Or whether your journey was more like the Magi. More slowly, after lots of studying, searching, thinking, conversations, year, years and years long quest. Our journeys are so different. God is so patient with us, isn't he? Most of us have been on that journey and we've arrived. But you know, we can get, we can get distracted. We can, forget, we can forget what has happened to us, and we need to be brought back to center. This is the closing Sunday. This is the closing week. This is the closing day. This is the closing hours of 2020. A year that we would never have predicted would have been like this one. And a year from now, if the Lord hasn't come back, it will be a different year. It will be a unique year. But where, where will you, you have allowed, where would I have allowed God to lead me? Would, would, would we find ourselves in a better place than ever? Because we were like these magi, so intent on getting to the person of Jesus and just worshiping and loving him and adoring him. Now today you may be searching for ultimate truth. You may be searching for a purpose or meaning or life or searching for happiness or peace. Or You may not know what you're looking for. You just know where you are is not working. And you need to land somewhere. Whatever it is, I promise that if you diligently search for God himself, you will find him. And you will be led to Jesus in that process. As John Hopkins wrote in his song, Star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. If that is your prayer of your heart, God will help you. Some of you, uh, some of you watching today maybe have skirted around him and you want to find another way. Maybe you've been exposed to him. Uh, you know a lot about him. 
You're not against him. You just haven't surrendered yet. If you haven't, please listen to the words of Acts 3.19 that says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He will do that. That's why we urge you to be baptized into Jesus Christ and know the joy of the new birth. What a way to begin a new year by being made new in Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge for the rest of us who do walk with Christ, who do have a relationship with him, who are very thankful today for the life we've gotten to live, for the journey that was once ours. You know, God, God uses people. Since that first Star Trek 2,000 years ago, God keeps using people. In fact, he uses them like stars to get people to Jesus. The two main stars in my life were my parents. In 56 years ago, God used those two stars to get me to Jesus. And God wants to use you as a star. When the Apostle Paul writes the Philippian believers, he, he, he tells them, shine like stars in the universe. Who do you know in your universe that needs to be guided to Jesus? God wants to use you as that one star to get them to him. And the Bible says, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So as you go about your life this week, be wise in taking a leading role, be a leading star in getting people to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for using us for your glory. We thank you, Father, for those stars that shone brightly in our own lives to get, get us to you. And I pray likewise, Father, we will be used for those who are far away from you still and need to be brought near. I pray for anybody that is uh, watching today and listening. I pray that today will be a day that their journey is brought forward and more forward than ever before or prompted to begin their journey more toward you. I pray that some who are watching and listening today will, will take you seriously and will be ready to lay down their lives for you. So, Father, what, what brings us here is Jesus, this one who was born to die, that we may live. And we love that we can remember him on this Lord's day and be thankful together. May God be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.